Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Good morning, church. What a beautiful day to be here. I want to share an important scripture today. It's John 6, 27 through 35. It says, do not work for food that spoils, he said, but for food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man, I will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to the works that God requires? What do we have to do? He answered, said, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it, believe in, see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it's written. He gave them the bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. The true bread from heaven come from God, his Father. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Oh, we know it. It's not questionable. This is the word of the Lord. And all thanks be to God. Thanks, Dave. So in the passage, you know, there's that great line, what must we do to do the work that God requires? What must we do? Now, uh, our pastor Mark is on retreat at Lady Lodge, and my name's Ron Ragsdale. Mark and I joke about, uh, about this, that he's a professional Christian and that I am an amateur Christian because he gets paid to be a Christian, you know, whereas the rest of us, we do it for the love of the game. It's my privilege to share a few thoughts with us this morning, and, and it's something to know about the vine if you're new here. It's something to know about the, the community of faith that we are here. So I love this line in John chapter 6, what must we do to do the work that God requires? What must we do? And just so you know, our, our church has a set of statements. We call them guardrails. Ten short statements, the guardrails. And, you know, they're kind of a mixture of what must we do and uh, who do we want to be, to be the community of faith that we believe God has called us to be. Ten statements. And you can find the guardrails on the website. Once a year, we preach through the guardrails, or at least some of them. And we do it because this is a good example of the culture that we're trying to create together. Uh, this is who we're trying to be. And the guardrails are meant to inspire us. They're meant to keep us on track. And this Easter season is as good a time as any to spend some time looking at the guardrails. It's as good a time as any to reflect upon and reconsider and recalibrate ourselves to the, to the guardrails of divine Austin. And here is the guardrail that we're going to be talking about today. It is a sin to bore people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to say a, a prayer as I begin here. 
you know, God the Father, Jesus the Son, we recognize your presence here with us today, right here, Mercury Hall. And Holy Spirit, we know that you're here too, soaking up the sun right beside each of us and our families. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to the power of your word. Lord Jesus, that you'd make the guardrails alive again within us. We ask for inspiration. We ask for calibration. And take away the dross and leave the gold so that more and more we can be your people in our world today. In the name of the Father, Jesus, and the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Okay, guardrails. It's a sin to bore people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this phrase, I know it's kind of odd, it's a sin to bore people with the gospel. That phrase has a history, and it actually comes from the world of Young Life. Young Life is a a Christian outreach for kids, for kids that typically are far from Christ. I was one of those kids when I was in high school. And Jim Rayburn, the guy who founded Young Life, this was one of his favorite sayings. In, in that version, it's a sin to bore a kid with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Young Life is the door through which I came to faith as a high school kid in Fort Worth. And for darn sure, Young Life was not boring. It was full of adventure. But it was really the quality of relationships that so attracted me. It was the quality of lives lived for Christ, that got my attention and held it. And I remember at the time thinking, I don't know what all this means, but I know I want to be a part of it. And that's how I felt. It's a sin to bore people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the main point of our sermon today. Main point, it's just two sentences, four clauses. Here it is. Our lives, our lives are an extension of the gospel. And if we ourselves are living a boring Christian life, then we are boring other people with the gospel, whether we know it or not. You may have heard this story. Mahatma Gandhi, before he was Gandhi in the 1920s uh, in India, uh, evidently Gandhi was living an exemplary life of such moral character that even the the British overlords at the time made note. And one day on a train, uh, two Englishmen asked Gandhi, why are you not a Christian? Like they couldn't believe he's not a Christian because he's a person of such moral character. Why are you not a Christian? And Gandhi's answer was this, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians because they are so unlike your Christ. So hear me on this. People rightly judge, people rightly judge the nature of the Christian gospel and the truth or falsity of the Christian message based on what they experience in you and in me. Our lives are an extension of the gospel. If we are living a boring Christian life, then we are boring other people with the gospel, whether we know it or not. So imagine this, we're driving down 1826 one day, the road to the Salt Lake, and some guy's tailgating us right on our rear end. 
There's no turn lane, there's no passing lane, but suddenly he pulls to the left, roars past us, cuts back in, and then speeds away, driving like a, a driving fast. And, and of course, we go, jerk, you know, or something worse we say as he passes us. I hope you get a ticket, you, you thing. And as he passes us and speeds away, we see it. One of those little fish symbols on the rear panel of his car, you know, the ichthus fish. And take that stupid fish off your car. You're giving us a bad name. Now, there's a reason why I don't have any insignia or sticker on my car that identifies me as a Christian. It's a sin to bore people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our lives are an extension of that gospel. And if we ourselves are living a boring Christian life or a hypocritical Christian life or a judgmental life or a I'm a jerk Christian life, if we ourselves are living a boring Christian life unchanged by Jesus, then we are boring other people with the gospel, whether we know it or not. So I've got four things I want us to consider today. How to be a not boring Christian. The first two are uh, kind of from a negative angle, and then the second two are from a positive angle. So here, the first attribute is found in our passage this morning where the people ask Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And this is a really common human question. You know, what do you want me to do? Give me a list. Show me the boxes that I can check off. And then once I check the boxes, I can say, okay, that's done. I'm in. And by the way, when we have a list, now I have something that I can compete in against you. Who's going to check our boxes first? Who's going to check our boxes better? So, of course, the people ask Jesus for a list. We all do. And even when I'm doing, say, career counseling with a friend, what's one of my first questions I'll ask? Where's the job description? Uh, what are the performance metrics of the job? It's common. We're looking for the boxes. Show me the list. What must we do? And here in the passage, what must we do to do the work that God requires? And if you think about it, in Jesus' answer, he does not give them a list. What must we do? Show me the list. He does not give them a list. Instead, he says, to believe in the one he has sent. And that's not a list. That's a relationship. To believe in Jesus, to be given over to Jesus, to embrace Jesus, to follow Jesus. It's a sin to bore people with the gospel. And if we ourselves are living a boring Christian life, then it's a fact. We are boring other people with the gospel. And now we're trying to answer the question, how to be a not boring Christian? And here's our first nudge. Give up the list. I have a friend friend who grew up in church, in a church, a church with a lot of lists, by the way. And by the time he turned 18, he ditched the whole thing. And he hasn't darkened the door, as they say, for 30 plus years. Well, a couple times maybe, you know, someone dies, uh, a memorial service. I mean, he ditched. I told him I was preaching. We were having a beer and I asked him, am I boring to you? 
Yeah. He answered with a smile on his face, wait, what, you're a Christian? Strange conversation, two guys having a beer, very public place, lots of people around. You know, do you find me boring? Do these pants make me look fat? Now, my friend did have an answer for me. He said, boring. No, uh, you've never made me feel like I have to live up to some standard, like you've got some kind of list. Now, this was his answer. I didn't prompt him on the answer. You never made me feel like I had to live up to some standard, like there's a list. Because when we do the list thing, when we do the list thing, people don't want to be around us. And that's the thing about lists, because invariably the list is going to harm someone else. And the list is bad for us too. Adventures in missing the point, we might say. The, the list isn't Jesus. The list is a counterfeit for Jesus. What must we do to do the work that God requires? Uh, Give me a list. Let me check it off. But Jesus says, believe in me. So do we want to be a non-boring Christian? Then let's give up the list. Here's number two. Don't be a poser. Now, that's a good French word, poseur, to pretend, to wear a mask, to adopt a persona that's not really us. I call it the shiny, happy people syndrome. And I think it's particularly endemic in the Bible Belt South, the shiny, happy people syndrome. It makes me want to gag, and it makes those outside the faith gag too when they're around us. So don't be a poser. Scott Peck wrote a book in 1978 the road less traveled. He was a Christian and a psychiatrist. The book didn't take off until the mid-80s, and it's all about what it means to be a a fully formed, high-functioning human being, or what does it mean to flourish as a human being? What does it look like? What is it, how does it happen? And this has always stuck with me. The first three words in the book, the road less traveled, life is hard first three words. And that's kind of freeing, isn't it? I mean, can we admit to ourselves and we can we confess it to one another? Life is hard. And maybe it's not a surprise that Peck's second book is titled People of the Lie. Have you ever been around someone, maybe someone we've known for years, maybe even a family member, and we spent a whole day together, and at the end of the day, we realize that I still really know nothing about you. Like we never connected all day. The only thing I know about you is that you're holding on to that mask really tight. Are those the kind of people that we want to be around? Shiny, happy people. Now that's one of the Christian versions of being a poser. And boy, does it bore people. Stephanie has a podcast that she listens to. This is a a Christian pastor, came to faith later in life. Now she's a Lutheran minister, and she lived a pretty rough and tumble life. She's very out there, very honest, and it's not surprising that her church is very full of out there, honest people. And she says this, the good news cannot be heard unless we're honest about the muck of life. 
And when and if we fall into the shiny, happy people syndrome, we're lying to ourselves, we're lying to God, and we're lying to everybody else. Rather, can we acknowledge where life is hard, how life is hard, and can we live into the pain with the hope of Jesus in our hearts? It's a sin to bore people with the gospel. Our lives are an extension of that gospel for others. When we're posers, when we're doing the shiny, happy people thing, we are boring other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, four nudges not to bore people with the gospel of Jesus. Number one, give up the list. Number two, don't be a poser. And now let's turn to the positives. And I'm going to do three and four together because they always seem to go together. How to not bore people with the gospel. Number three, engage with Jesus. And number four, engage with others. I'm going to pause for just a moment because I got to acknowledge something. As I'm hearing myself and as I was preparing for the message, I'm kind of making this sound really easy, aren't I? You know, uh, give up the list, don't be a poser, engage with Jesus, engage with others. And I'll just say, I had to go through a fair bit of counseling to even begin to understand all the ways that I have been or can be a poser in my own life. And, And giving up the list, I mean... Oftentimes, once I give up one list, before I know it, within a month, I've created a whole nother list, and now I'm using that to check off the boxes. It's not easy to give up the list. And when we use a phrase like, engage with Jesus, is that just churchy talk, religious jargon? Like, what does that actually mean? And engage with others. You know, please be careful when we talk about engaging with others, because the moment another person becomes our project, like we're going to get a new, mo- a new mark on our gunslinger belt when I lead you to Jesus. The moment another person becomes our project, the gospel of Jesus Christ ends. And this is the meaning of the guardrails, where they're meant to be a conversation. They're meant to be something we talk about together that we think about together, that we pray about together, that we encourage one another together. That's what the guardrails are meant to be. And there's nothing easy about the four things that I'm saying this morning. We need one another, and that's exactly how the guardrails are meant to function in our lives. So give up the list, don't be a poser, engage with Jesus, engage with others. Okay, now we're going back to the main thread. How to not bore people with the gospel. Engage with Jesus, engage with others. A number of years ago, quite a few, I was in a a men's gathering, a a Christian meeting, about a hundred men. And obviously there were there were five men who were the leaders of the group, obviously, uh, you know, near the front, and they were they led the program. Hundred of us in the room. I'm sitting in the back with an older guy someone that I had known years earlier, and I had a deep respect for. And I was surprised. I didn't even know he was in this town I was in. And sure sure enough, he's there. We reconnect. I'm sitting with him in the back. As the meeting is coming to an end, he says in my ear, 
just wait. Let's see who the real Christian leaders are. And I don't know what he's really referring to, but I stay in my seat. The meeting's over. People are getting up, moving around, and I'm just looking. You know, he's looking, and finally goes, that guy over there. I don't get it. And a few minutes later, oh, that guy over there. That's, that's a real leader. And then, then a third scenario, that guy over there. I didn't understand. He had to begin to explain what he was referring to. And here's the way I would say it to us today. In pretty much every gathering of people, there's a social and psychological dynamic in play. There are people who are in and there are people who are out. There are people who are established and there are people who are new. There are people who are secure and there are people who are not secure. There's people who have power and there are people with no power in pretty much every group we are ever a part of. That dynamic is in play. And in the scenarios that my friend was pointing out to me, they all shared a common theme. There was a person or a group of people who were either, I feel emotional talking about this. This is a deep life lesson that I learned that day, and it means the world to me. In every scenario he pointed out, there were people who were either out, new, not secure, or had no power. And in each scenario, there was someone who crossed a boundary to connect with those people, to make them feel welcome, to make them feel good. Someone crossed a boundary. And those were the three people that my friend were pointing out to me. Those are the real leaders, the people who engaged. Now, it's real common in a setting like that, you know, the meeting's over and you kind of want to go glom on to the to the established leaders up front. Or, or maybe I just want to hang out with my friends that make me feel good about myself or I haven't seen in a while. But the real leader, this older man was saying, goes to those who are outside, goes to those who are new, goes to those who aren't feeling secure, goes to those without power. Those are the real leaders. And I hope it's not lost on us. I hope. I hope it's not lost on us that every week, right here at Mercury Hall, the same dynamic is in play. Out, in. Established, new. Secure, not secure. Power, no power. Every week, right here, right now. And I regret the many times I have failed to live up to this. Lost in my own world. Eyes not seeing. You know, heart not feeling. You know, hey, if we hurry, we can, I can get home and make to that, you know, one o'clock tea time. Or maybe I'm just thinking about yard work. That's pretty common. Or my next house project. Or maybe I just want to hang out with my own peeps after church. The same dynamic is in play here, and the same dynamic is in play at the PTA meeting or in the stands of a high school football game or parents on the sidelines of mob ball little kids soccer 
it's in play in every store that we frequent. It's in play at my favorite brew pub. And we've all been there. We all know what this feels like. In, out, established, new, secure, not secure, power, no power. We know what it feels like. Who are the people who have eyes to see and a heart that feels and the courage to act? And we can kind of guarantee it. They're the ones who've been spending time with Jesus. Because if there's one thing that Jesus is going to do to a person, he's going to help us see, feel, and act. And how many gospel stories can we think of where Jesus crosses a boundary and connects with other people and changes others' lives? The the woman at the well. Okay, woman, uh, Samaritan, and notorious. Jesus crosses a boundary. Or even the calling of the 12 disciples. They were just a bunch of young nobodies. Or Zacchaeus, the tax collector in the tree. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) And how about the women who are in Jesus' entourage and are continually honored and highlighted throughout the Gospels? If there's one thing that Jesus is going to do to a person, he's going to help us see, feel, and act. We're going to engage with others, and we might be crossing some boundaries to do it. It's a sin to bore people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each of us, all of us together, our lives are an extension of the gospel And other people will see Jesus or not through us. And how do we not bore people with the gospel they experience through our lives? Give up the list. Don't be a poser. Engage with Jesus and engage with others. And let's remember that God is with us. The Spirit of God dwells in our hearts. The Spirit of God endues each of us with resurrection power that we today can live with Him and for Him in our world. We are, all of us, caught up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a sin to bore people with that gospel.